0: Welcome to My Life, Chassidah Supplied, episode 435, a special Yud Shvat edition. This program is in merit of Baruch bin Yomin Ben Ben Menuch and Miriam Bas Sara Altes, Yukusil Ben Lehi Rochel and Rochel Bas Liba Farkash, dedicated by Pinchas Todrus, Ben Miriam, and Sarah Bas Rochel Alteis. This week is Yud Shvat, 73 years from Tovshin Yud, was the Yem Hilula and Istalkus of the Friedeke Rebbe, year 1950, and same day the beginning of the Rebbe's leadership. Nisius. A year later, Tavshin Yud Aleph 1951, the Rebbe would formally assume leadership by saying the Mimer Bassele Egani, Yud Aleph, famous maimer. and then after that every year the Rebbe would continue, and discuss one of the t- twenty chapters of this discourse. Of this Hemshech, and did so several cycles as we shall discuss. So, being that it's Yudshvat, most appropriate to begin with that, being that it is the beginning of the Deir Hashvi, as the Rebbe designates and states clearly in that discourse in Tavshin Yud Aleph, that the Friedrich Rebbe hints to it right the beginning of the Hemshech. So, let's talk about Yudshvat. Many ways this entire program, My Life Chassidus Applied, (laughs) wouldn't exist, I probably wouldn't exist, at least not in this form and shape, or not for uh, the Rebbe and the Rabbeim. So clearly it's worthwhile discussing on this type of program, being that we're celebrating the application of Chassidus to our personal lives. So the first question, of course, is why is Yudshvat relevant to us? And what is its main lessons for us today? I think we should begin with Chassidus in general. The Rabbeim, starting with the Alta talking about the Rabbeim, the Rabbein and the of Chabad, begins with the Alta Rebbe, was himself a student of the Magad who was a student of the Baal What did Chassidus come to bring to the world? So there are two main points that are addressed when that question is asked. The Rebbe has a classic, in Chelik uh, Tazvov, Lekut Esiches, Yutas One is that the situation of the Jewish people was becoming more difficult and more dire after years and years of gollus, breaking the spirit, and it was causing what we call that the inward state of ishalfus. Ishalfus is, halfus. is, halfus is like, a, like a comatose state, spiritually speaking. So though there were many scholars, and there was on one hand a lot of growth in that sense, but spiritually, it was taking its toll. And there was also a split between the scholars and the rest of the Iden who were not scholars. The neshama of the Eid was revived through Yisrael, the name of the Baal Shemtiv. And when you call someone by their name, it draws out the energy from the etzaman nefesh. So it was due to the cheshecha goles. We know the Golis, the exile became darker and darker. Till Mashiach comes, it's always dark as before the dawn, and that's why you needed to have a tremendous new light. And I say new, not new fundamentally. Pnimiyas Teda in general, achzidas included, were all given together with Teda at HaSinai. but it was kept for very few people. Yichides gula over the generations. The time that Israel began to mitzvah legalize the began to teach these teachings, and of course the balechemt of hearing from Mashiach. Mashiach will come, so when your wellsprings will spread outward. And the Alter Rebbe, he says, the Alter Rebbe brought it into Chzidus a full comprehensive explanation, that every person, no matter who a person is, and the animal soul itself can understand godliness. The second reason is right before Mashiach comes, out of Shabbos, we taste from the foods of Shabbos. So in Shishi, in the sixth millennia, we taste of the foods of the seventh millennia of Mashiach, and Chizdis is a taste of Terushos Shal Mashiach. The Rebbe explains these are two reasons are interdependent because in order to deal with the darkness, you need to have that taste of a higher ghili of Terushos Shal Mashiach. What it means in simple English is Chizdis gives us the tools and the language to integrate and internalize, and apply tereh in our personal lives. Now tereh is always lashon and every Pasuk, from B'reheshi's Bada, every verse, every Pasuk. But you can't always see it on your own. That's why you have to learn tereh B'Pedusha Nitna, the written tereh together with the oral interpretation. But tereh Shabbat in general, nigla that is, deals more with the mechanics, deals more with the actual mitzvahs and the laws and all the details. Primus deals with in the words of the Zayar, nishmasa daraisa, what it means for our souls, how it speaks to our souls, how it activates our souls, and how it becomes spiritually, emotionally, psychologically relevant. So, in that context, every generation of the Chsid, of the Rabbeim, gave, presented and developed this, these teachings in a more integrated and a more internalized way offering it to us, and when we come to Derashvi in the words of the Rebbe in the Maim of Lagani Tovshin the seventh generation from the Alta Rebbe, now our role is to finish the job for us in the Migdhas with Shakanti just as Mesha was the seventh generation from Avram, to bring the Shechina down below, with Avram bring it back from the Kiyashvi to Shishi, the seventh heaven to the sixth heaven, after it was concealed due to the generations that transgressed, beginning with the generation that, of the of the, of the sin of the tree of knowledge. So the seventh generation, mashiach mm-hmm. Rabbeinu, concluded the process with Matan Teta and Binyana Mishkin, the building of the Mishkin, of bringing the Shekinah back as it was in the beginning of creation. But it was not in a permanent fashion. That will happen when Mashiach comes. Then we'll have the third base Amigdash. Due to the different reasons, the Mishkin then came the but was not finished, the job wasn't finished. After thousands of years, we're now at the threshold. The last generation of Golas, the first generation of Gula, after these millions and billions of mitzvahs that have been done refining the world, to finish the job in the seventh generation. So Yushvat represents that seventh generation, the beginning of that seventh generation. So it's quite significant because in a sense it's the mission statement of our time that we're given that mission and indeed look around in 1950 it was just a few years after World War II the opportunity to reach the world was possible. Going back five years earlier it was the middle of World War II and all the tzadahs that came from that and the darkness that came from that. So the, though the goal didn't end but the opportunities a free world Jews being able to celebrate, educate their children, and more. furthermore, spread Yiddishkeit today in every possible way. And then the explosion of technology, so literally the stage is set. So it's not just a statement made. The stage is very different. The Rebbe's Nesir's leadership was marked in a way that no, all the six generations before all dealt with struggles, physical struggles, oppression, terrible oppression, Time of the Rebbe, all the Rabbeim, and the Friedrich Rebbe. It was only right after World War II, and ever since, we have the opportunities we have today, not just to protect ourselves, but to bring light to the entire world. So indeed, Yudshfat represents the beginning of that new stage, which would ultimately lead to the Gulam Mittiz Vashleim, as the Rebbe explains in later Sikhs, especially after 1988, Tavshim Amchas and Nun, and nun where the Rebbe explains the different kufis in, in after Yushvat itself, that ultimately leading to the work being done, and we can open our eyes and experience Gulan in our lives. So we have, that's our job, is to finish those last steps, as the Rebbe said, I did everything I can, now do what you can. Do everything you can. Tut alz So on Yushva, that's our mandate, and that's what we have to renew our... His kashra our connection to the Rebbe, to the Rabbeim, and to the man that they gave us, to the shlichas, the mission that they gave us. What are we doing to finish the last steps of transforming this world and making it into a a home for the divine? And each one of us has to look into our own hearts and souls and see what are we doing, what can we do more? And the fact that we say, well, all these years have passed, it's not happened yet, that's up to us. And then Rabbi made it clear, I'm giving you the krechus, he said. Didn't say those words, but he, said, but he said the words, that do everything you can. That means I'm giving you the krechus to do everything you can. So Yud Shvat is the day of the year when that mandate stands so prominent. And indeed, as someone asked, so what is the primary theme of Basel in general, and specifically this year's chapter 13, and the Rebbe's key additions in Tavshin Chav Gimel and Tavshin Mem Gimel, 5723 and 5743. With Yuchvat coming up, can I ask Rabbi Jacobs to give a short synopsis of the Basil Gani of the Friedrich Rebbe and to discuss some Chidushim the Rebbe added to the Maimer during the years he would expound in the Maimer? Thank you. So indeed, when you look at Baslagan, it's exactly this theme that we've been discussing. So the Ashroch Pratis is beyond words, because remember, just to give a little history. A little history. That in those years, the Rebbe was known as the Ramash, Fridika Rebbe's second son-in-law. He was responsible for publishing Kohos, he, he was also the head of Mach Israel, Merkos. But Goss was publishing all the works of the Rabbein, also other works. So every week, with, uh, a kuntus was published, a, a uh, pamphlet was published, with Maimotum of the Friedrich Rebbe. In those years, the Friedrich Rebbe wasn't delivering Maimotum in speech, and it wasn't new Maimotum. So this so every, every, every uh, week, and for every kufa, I wouldn't say every week, but for every period in time, the Rebbe published a Maimed. For that week was Yudshvat. Yudshvat is the yard site of the, the grandmother of the Frida Rebbe, the Rebbe Sinrifke, Rebbe Marash's Rebbe. So the, so the Rebbe gave out a Kuntras, was built on, was the Maimed from Tafresh Pegimo, Shabbos Pasha's boy. 1923. It's exactly that mimer, adding chapters to it. No one had known, at least not Badas Tachden, what would happen that Shabbos. That Shabbos was Yud Shva, Yud. Friday night, when they were sitting and learning the mimer, people noticed that the Yud in Shlita was missing. In the Kuntas, there was always a Pesach Dover, like introduction, and the Yud was missing. Okay. You know, it's a typo. It was a yud, the yud of Schlitten. The next morning, a little after 8 a.m., was the istalkus of the Fidikareb. We also know that the last year, from Rantov test sometime, Fidikareb began writing his second name. When he would sign his name, the second name, both I would start with a yud. The second yud, he would make larger and larger. And they literally have images of how the yud became larger. It was literally like a full, like almost a, a ksavash, like what you write in a sefer Yud, usually in writing, you just make a little dot, or a little short line. Here it was written out with a kreitz on top and a kreitz on the bottom and a filled-in block in the middle. The Rebbe wrote, he didn't hear a reason for it, but in Tavshin Nun, actually, the Rebbe explains that yud is connected, of course, to yud shvat, Tavshin Yud, the Rosh of the Fridic name. Yud is also the completion of a cycle. And in this case, the 30 years of the Fridi Rebbe's leadership from Pei to Tofshin Yud. And so many other things connected to Yud. And Bosa Ligani, therefore, became actually the mimer that was learned on the day of the Yisdalkos. And the Rebbe took it very seriously that way. So the next year when he said the mimer. He said, this is the mayimit that was given out for publication, the last mayimit, and he began his first mayimit with the last mayimit of the Fridhikarev. Now, the kontresim continued to come out. There were four Kuntresim that came out. A th- um, th- yeah, four th- four Kuntresim, one for Yud Shvat, one for Yud Gimel Shvat. First five chapters was the Yud Shvat mayamid, then Yud Gimel Shvat. and then Purim and then beznis. And that added up to 20 chapters. And then the Rebbe, every year after that, began explaining each year the respective chapter. So the first year was, of course, the general bossal Tavshin Yud Aleph, Tavshin Yud was chapter 2. Tavshin Yud Gimel was chapter 3. When the Rebbe finished in Tavshin Chav Tess was chapter 19. Tavshin Lamed was chapter 20. So everyone wondered what would be in Tavshin Lamed Aleph. And the Rebbe began the cycle again. And he went through the second cycle, Almost completely. Shemem Ches was the last Maimur, chapter 18, the second cycle that the Rebbe said Yutshvat. So, continue that cycle every year. So, this year corresponds with chapter 13. So, firstly, the central theme of Ligani is exactly what I said before Basilagani, Achesi that come to my garden, my sister, my bride, and the Medr says, it doesn't say Ligan, it says Ligani, Lignuni, to my bridal chamber. Gani, mine, my guard. Because why? Because the Ika Shekhinah That the divine presence, the primary divine presence was down here on earth when God created the world. And then through the Chet the sin of the, of the tree of knowledge, it caused a Stalkus The Shekhinah became concealed and went from the earth to the, seventh, to the first heaven. The next generation of transgressions to the second heaven all the way till the seventh heaven, which really means seven levels of concealments. And Avraham reversed the process. He began to illuminate the world, to bring the Shekhinah back, the presence of the divine. Basically, dissonance was born and created. And Avraham began to reconnect existence with his very purpose, existence with his creator, the machine with its engineer, cosmic engineer, and then every generation after that, seven generations, Yitzchak, Yaakov, all the way to Moshe, the seventh generation from Avram, the So it's this Sobos Legan, captures the central mission of life in general. To transform this material world and make it a mishkin, a dwelling place, a dome, a, 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 a home for the divine. And how do you do it? By making a mishkin. And he continues on. That's what v'shechanti b'secha means. How do you make, build a mishkan Through karbonus. It was the primary work in the mishkan. What's karbanis? Taking from our animal soul, odom Kiyakrim mekem, and offering it, bringing it close. Kiruv, carbon from the word closeness, by elevating this world and elevating ourselves and the world around us, the material world, to, to a mishkin, to be a, a, a channel, a vehicle, a home for the divine. Then he goes on, how the mishkan was built. shittim. Siderwood, what's Asher shittim in Hebrew? Shittim is from the word Shtus. stus means like insanity, or it can be nonsense. It could be stus of the umaze, of the negative, and you transform that to Shtus de gedusha, to a holy insanity, to a holy tremendous power. And the same thing, K'rushim, the K'rushim, what would build the beams in the temple? K'rushim comes has the letter Sheker, the falsity of this world, and transforming it to the emas of godliness. And who does this job? That's the Sivas Hashem, the army of Hashem that does the job. Because we, who builds the Mishkin? They didn't build the Mishkin through their, through their donations and then building it. and also Naveda building it through our own personal lives and the world and transforming the world around us. And then he goes on to speak about how these Sivas Hashem are empowered. He gives the classic example of a king, a king who splurges all his treasures, even the ones that were concealed forever, that nobody ever saw, he gives it to the simple soldiers through the ministers in order to win the battle. Midas HaNetzachem reaches the deepest place. What battle? The battle against the negativity of this world to transform it. And that's the the treasures that he gives us. And he himself also puts himself on the line, sacrifices himself in this battle. The battle is fought by us. And as the Rebbe explains in his Maimon, who is us? The Deir Hashvi. As he says, I mentioned before, he hints to in the beginning of the Maimon, when he said, Moshe is the seventh generation, he says, call Shri and Chavivin, and all sevens are precious. And same too, we are the seventh from the Alta Rebbe to finish the job of bringing the Geula. So we are those soldiers, and we're given these etzes, these tremendous treasures, and resources, and tools, and then the continuation of the Hemshech is what are these treasures? So he explains Eireh sof is Lamaila Aden Ketz or Aden Lamaila Ketz is the hell Helam, the concealed treasures that are given only one, for only one reason for us to, fin- to do the job down below. It's not given to higher levels, to the higher levels of Ishtalshus in the higher worlds. But to understand Lamaila Aden Ketz, he has to explain lamata Aden Tachlis first. Mata is the the divine revelation, extension, an expression in existence, and that's the theme of chapter thirteen: how that divine expression, in a state of divine and maintains its Ain self quality, its infinite quality, permeates to the lowest levels, even the deepest klipas, even the darkest of the dark. Why is that critical? Because you said the whole the whole the whole purpose of it, is to transform this world and make it a home for the divine. How can you do that? When this world is a hell and a hester, a completely dark world, double darkness, full with all kinds of negative energy, corrupt energy, decadence, antithetical to everything that's divine. The answer is because in it lies embedded godliness. Then we'll learn in it is also the power that comes from the hellem of my ketz. but now we're talking about Matadentahhas. And that's the theme of chapter 13, and its connection to the, to the entire theme. And the relevance is as, as a direct as it gets. That's what Youchva is all about. The Dedahri, the seventh generation, to finish the job of what transforming the dark world, the stus of this world, into what into. A Mishkan into a home and dwelling place for the Divine. So, Chapter Thirteen itself focuses on how that Eirein Sof, and Eirein Sof, the emphasis on Eirein Sof. It's not just that it creates the worlds in an Eirein Sof way, like he explains in Chapter Twelve, meaning infinite worlds, infinite levels. But no, but that the ur itself comes down to the lowest levels. But more than that, that the it is in each level and it retains its ain't-sof quality, its infinite quality. And he explains what the Pela and is. And the Rebbe goes through every section of chapter 13 and explains it in the most wonderful way. I actually have a series on this that you can find. We have it at uh, chassidahsupply.com slash I already did four parts in, in preparing for Yudshvat on this moment, more detail. But briefly... I'll just break down the since this is a fat program. I'll just break down the sections. So first, the Arab explains the idea of the Eiden Sof that it's not just the Isava's is the creation, like I just said, but also the it, it itself extends. So you can say the Eiden Sof remains above and it creates the worlds. No, it enters the worlds. Eiden Sof den It enters the worlds, and it doesn't just enter the worlds in the sense where it creates a shtashos that goes, that goes downward. It itself goes into each level and it remains ain'tsaf. And the chiddush in this is an atzillus and higher than an atzillus it's not a pella as he puts it. The Reb explains the detail why based on the Fridic Rebbe's words because there there's already, they're already connected to godliness in two ways. First of all the ain'tsaf the, 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 the radiates there and second of all they're Kalim for it. In Biyah, the Chiddush is in Biyah, which is only like a lavush, a garment, not a keli. That's separate. That even a separate entity that doesn't feel godliness and it feels itself as a separate consciousness, it too carries the ensof in it. In a concealed way, but it's there. Then the Rebbe explains how B'riyat Sirasi are like one entity in this context. They all receive from atzilus. It's just different forms. The Bina of atzilus is in B'riyat. The Zoham, Midas of Atzilus, is in Yitzirah, and Malchus of Atzilus, Eifen, is in Asiyah. And then explains, and who does it? The Neshamas. So Neshamas have to have both sides to them. They have on one side, they are carriers of the divine. On the other hand, they have to go, Nishama's the Biyah. It's only Yichad Bedara, the Rebbe of the generation, as the Rebbe explains, that gives us the Koyach. That's the Neshama of Atzilus. But most Neshamas are from Biyah because they have to engage with the world. And as he brings from the Torah of the Baal Shemtiv there that the three worlds, the three, the three levels are higher the Neshamis, and Elomis. And the Neshamis are the interface to bring the godliness of higher than atzilus, and atzilus into Biyah. So Neshamis are, the Elokhus is higher than the Neshamis are atzilus, and they enter into Biyah and the Elomis are Biyah. Then he continues, the Rebbe explains that, that section. The next section is that it doesn't just come down into beyond in general, it comes down even to the most gashmizdik, it thickens. Because remember, we're talking about bringing the divine all the way down, down, down. So it enters into the galgalim, the gal-galim and the mazolus that actually sustain, they are the biyada d'achesev, they're the instruments that God uses to create existence. And there too is the age-safe, and then finally, that's still all Kedusha, the world of holiness, or at least a world that's not opposition to godliness. Then comes the next, that's not enough, because we want the Ein Sof also in the darkest of the dark. So the next section goes into Padre. And not just them, that Padre felt he was a self-made man, even though he was blessed by Yaakov. So he knew where his blessings came from. He denied it all. I'm I'm I'm, I'm self-created. I don't need anyone. The ultimate klipper. And even and nothing else. And even there is Ein of Mata Aden Then the Friedrich Rebbe continues, and the Rebbe explains how this too is an aveda because if there's a party within each one, one of us. He explains it in two ways. One people who do work, business, the God's blessing is, is the one that gives us the blessing, but a person could decide and say, yadi like, I did this all on my own. I don't need anybody. And the same thing in learning Tehra. You can learn Tehra and forget about God. The Tehra can go the wrong direction. So the lesson is that even there, even that darkness... There's also some Eintsov Mata and tachos. And our job as the Veda, is to recognize through this darkness and not be trapped in that place and reveal the Eintsov that's there. As he continues to explain in chapter 14, that the retains its Eintsov quality and therefore there's always hope. But chapter 13, main point is to show us that there is godliness everywhere, even in the darkest places. And that, of course, is a critical piece in the entire theme of the 20 chapters of Bosa because we don't have to be Bosa Lagani, my garden, as the Rebbe explained in a very classic sikha, Tov Shalom Ad Yud Shvat, that the world is really a garden. What it appears is on the outer level. But where's the garden? Now we know why, because Einzof is there. So everything is a garden. It's just concealed. And our job is to reveal it. That's our mission. Now, being where we are now, Tov Shem Pei Gimel, and this is already the fourth cycle. And with the words of the Rebbe said to us, we're talking now over 30 years ago. And Tovshin nun nun Aleph, that the world is ready. And we have to just finish the last drop. So clearly, the last, the last drop takes time. Halavai didn't take so much time. But there's something we have to do we haven't done yet. And just like the shtuz de gedusheh, shtuz de Gdusha means you don't just say, oh, I did it. You have to always do something that is, I, I, the word insane is a negative word, but it means go beyond the rational, go beyond the logical, go beyond our calculations to push it forward. We have a big world out there and we have all the tools we need. The stage is set. We have the oitzes. We have the einsov that's embedded everywhere. Now it's a matter of revealing it. There was a time you needed the war, an actual war, Either a physical war or a spiritual war. The Rebbe says the war is over. Now you have to reveal it. Revealing is a far different process than battling it. Now the battle is to reveal, obviously, but it's still much easier to understand and easier to accomplish when you see a world that is not controlled by Yamachumai Nazis or communists or all the Halomas Vestarium that existed before Tovshin Yud. A world that does gives us all the opportunities. And the only challenge is the apathy within the pare within, the dissonance internally. So when you learn the Maiman and you take, and take it to heart, you say, what does that mean? Ain't self inside your heart, inside of your soul, inside of my heart and my soul. Even in the darkest moments, not only when we're in a state of uh, inspiration and higher consciousness, but in whatever state you're in, even a state where there's a, where there's a seemingly disconnect, you think you think yourself made your self absorbed, self-absorbed, self-interest. Even there, Ein Sof is there, waiting for it to be waiting for you to release it. When we recognize that within ourselves and we recognize that within others, that there's that infinity, that eternity, that Ein Sof power. What can really stop any person? That's the central theme and the personal relevance of Pak Gimel to each one of us. <laughs> Now, on Tov 20 years later, the Rebbe continued, and there he says, so how do you do it? So how could you reveal the same self? So the Rebbe says there through learning Tera about these darges. That There he explains at length why you find in Etz and in Zayar and places such an Arichus about Klippus, about all these negative energies. So he says, because everything is created through Tera. God looked into the Tera as a blueprint and created why? Not just to create it, because when we look, learn in Teda, we are connecting to the divine purpose even in those negative things. So God forbid to go engage with them. I'll tell you any other day in the sun. are not allowed to bring yourself to a test. But by learning the Teda, it's like Yaakov, Esav, Amurim, parsha by learning in the Teda and connecting our minds to Teda, the Teda of those things, of the Yaakov and the Esav, of the Padre, of all these levels of Klippas, the learning the Torah and, and of it, that allows us to extract the sparks, even from those darkest places. As he brings there for the story of the Rochav, that the Gemara says that you're not supposed to say Rochav, Rochav, because it can bring somebody to negative thoughts. So he asks, what does that mean? If anyone can't can say those words, he says, no, it has to be someone that recognizes it, someone that has the das, that knows her. What does that mean? In means where you connect yourself in a very negative way, and that's not allowed. But there's the Kedush of it. There's the, Shtu's the Kedush of it. What is that? When a person connects themselves to Teda with Das. When you learn Teda in a way that you completely bind yourself, Yede Makire, that you connect to God, and you recognize Das HaLi vicha so, connecting to the Teda and to the God with the godliness within Teda, that gives us the power to overcome those things by learning it through Teda. That's the key thing. So, that can transform even those most negative experiences that is the, in the story of Rochav. So, the point being is, then the Rebbe is talking to and Tavshem Chav Gimel, the Rebbe explains the very themes of the Perik itself, Perikit Gimel, and Mem Gimel, the Rebbe explains how to do it through learning Teda. So when we learn Tehira, we, we elevate the world. So basically creating a Tehira world. So instead of the world controlling things, the blueprint of the world controls it. And the only reason they are Eclipus is in order for us to transform them. They're not an end in themselves. They're in order to bring out our deeper energy, our deeper strengths, and to win the battle. And for that, we're given all the strengths to do so. So, the methodology of learning teda is a critical piece in the Tav Shemem Gimel Maimon. Okay. So, with that, let's go to some other questions, Yuchfat related. Since we're talking about the Maimon of Tavshem Yud so, someone asked the question, Hired up Simon. When I was a kid, I was told that the Rebbe is the continuation and extension of the Moshe, Rabbe, of Moshe Rabbeinu. And when he says a Maimer it's Divri The Shekinah is flowing through the Rebbe's mouth. This week, I heard your Yudshvat is referring to last year's Yudshvat Rabrengan. You related an anecdote that the Rebbe researched and prepared for Maimir Basil Ghani Tavshin the night before he said it. How do these two perspectives mesh? Did my teachers lie to me? Was I naive to believe my teachers? Thanks, Rafsim. No, it's not a contradiction at all. When it says that the Shekhinah speaks through his throat, through his mouth, as Moshiach Rabbeinu, this doesn't mean that the Rebbe just is passive. The Rabbeinu study Taylor, Moshiach Rabbeinu study Taylor, they prepare themselves to be the keli for that Shekhinah Rabbeinu. So this, is some type of, this isn't some type of mechanical thing. Like it is by every person. By a Rebbe, it's on a very different level. That you guide the matzasi, through the work, and then that, then you become the channel. This is true even in the highest levels. That's how Hashem wants it to be. That's why the Alter Rebbe, the Rebbe, they were not born as big as in a revealed way. They had the potential. They have definitely unique Neshama. But they learned. They pushed to learn, then out of it the learning. Most of the time they spent was learning. And they struggled, as they themselves say, on their level, however, whatever that struggle means. And that, together with that, that makes them a keli. When it talks about, let's say, a novi, the Rambam says a novi needs certain qualifications. It has to be a chachim, he has to have certain refined qualities. Obviously, God could speak through anyone, even a bilam. But even a bilam recognized that he had to have God's permission. But the point being is that the more the person makes themselves a killer, the more it flows through them and it goes hand in hand. So, of course, the Rebbe said a number of times that he prepares before he speaks. The Rebbe Rashab said, based on the Gemara, that before you speak in public, you should review, something, you should review four times, even when he would say Haftarah. And Haftarah is saying words, and he knew the words for sure. So there's always making yourself a keli, everyone lefiyerech. They tell the story of the Baal Tev, that he once needed something, so he went out, needed some, uh, some money for, to give to somebody to help them. He went outside, knocked on a window of a person, and went back to his uh, place. So as Talmidim said, why'd you go knock on the window? He says, because you have to make a keli. You have to make the tasa, a keli. So why didn't you wait till he would come out and give you? He says, I made the keli. For the Baal that was enough. So there's always a need to make a keli. and there's always a Veda that makes the keli for this Ashra's Ashkina, Ashkina Medaberes Meteh Grene. Yes, that is a powerful story where somebody came to see the Rebbe, it was our Moshe Groner actually, and he saw on the Rebbe's table, he saw both kinds of him open. This was the night before Yudshvat, the Rebbe sent him on a Shlicha somewhere to help somebody. And... Uh, so, you could say the Rebbe just downloaded automatically with Ruach Kedish, Or you could say, no, the Rebbe worked on it and learned. And in addition to that, got all the Shechina Medaberes that comes from above. Okay. Can you share some of the details around the Estalkas and Tovshin Yud? So, I, I wasn't there, but I did, of course, hear from many people. So it was, it was a little after eight in the morning when this talcus happened. But before that, that morning, Friedrich Kareba found it difficult to breathe. They called doctors, Dr. Zelligson. Bottom line is, what we need to know is not to all the graphic details, that this talcus happened. And in the room at the time were actually a koyin, a and a yisro. And which was interesting. One of the things that I heard, and the Reb, of course, was notified, and he came, and he stood downstairs and didn't let anyone in unless they went to the Vasa. They had to go to the Mikveh. People, the didn't say why, but it became pretty clear after a while. Throughout Shabbos was Shabbos. You don't show any form of Avelas. But after Shabbos, you can imagine, it was probably quite a harrowing scene there. But they say that um, Rabbi and Gordon was one of the three that was there um, he was the Koyim, and the Levi was Abshemul Levitin, and the Israel was, uh, was uh, I believe, well, was Rabbi Jacobson or Rabbi Simpson. they okay, saw he saw a yarmulke in the bed, so he went to put the yarmulke back on the head of the Fidik Rabbi, so there was a yarmulke on his head as well. So that's when we knew that there were two yarmulkes, which I'm going to talk about. Some people ask me questions about that. That's one of the things that was uh, observed. Um, as I said, that day was a very, I heard from people, it was an extremely difficult day, of course, um, because with was Shabbos at the same time the Yistalkos had happened. The Rebbe was very, very careful, as I mentioned, that people should, only people who went to the Mikveh, because it's a And the rest of it is written up in different places, just to share a few of the details. As I mentioned, the Maim Rebos had come out, published for that Shabbos. So clearly that was an indi- indicative of the themes that ultimately people would understand connected to that day. And, uh, but I want to focus on the story with the yarmulkes because that's a uh, few questions came in. Did the Friedrich Rebbe wear two yarmulkes? And the answer is yes, he did. We see from there, did he do it all the time? It's hard to say. But, um, but with that, I'd like to go over to a few uh, questions on that topic. Is there a Lubavitch meaning to wear a double covering as a yarmulke, meaning that the yarmulke should have two layers? If yes, can you provide some context and background explanation what it's all about and where it comes from? So actually I spoke about this in episodes 210 and 211, which you can find at chassidahsupply.com Briefly in and Menhogim the Rebbe brings they wear a yarmulke and a hat it doesn't speak about two layers of a yarmulke. It could be that, maybe the source. Some say That is significant, some say it's not. Many many ways that you can explain it. The fact that the Friedrich Rebbe wore two yarmulkes is interesting. Why didn't you just wear one yarmulke with two layers? Maybe because they're connected, so they're not really considered two layers. Um, Many ways you can explain it. I discussed it back in episode 210 and 211. But I'm just addressing it because since it's connected to the histalkus, I felt it's appropriate to mention. I suppose a few people ask me questions about that. Okay, with that, let's go back to Basleghani and to the themes of the Hamsich. So, in a related question, someone asked the following. Let's see here. What did the Frieder Kareba mean? when he said, we have to polish the buttons. So this is a sikha from Simcha State at Tafresh Pei Tes. The Rebbe brings it off. puts in the There in the sikha, the Fridic Rebbe talks about that we're ready for the gula and the soldiers are all lined up and you see, when soldiers are all lined up and ready to go to battle, the last thing you need to do is they go to the buttons to make sure the buttons are polished and and, uh, shining. So the Rebbe explains that the Frisic Rebbe was saying that after all the work we've done, the last step is to polish the buttons. And for all the years, the Rebbe would say, I believe is the first time. The Rebbe said, We already polished the buttons, and now the concern is not to over-polish them because then they can rub out. Then after a while, the Rebbe did not repeat that line but then in and the Rebbe started saying it quite common. They already finished the polishing of the buttons. So clearly, polishing the buttons is a lot more than just what it appears. It's the last step before the gu'ula comes. In different sikhs, the Rebbe explains what buttons are. Their buttons connect the garment, they attach the right to the left. So it's, again, I take a last step, but it's like makabapatish. it's like finishing the job. So it's very fitting to the theme of Yutzvat because that's exactly the theme of Basiligani, to finish the job in the Deir HaShvi. And that's the context with polishing the buttons. Since we're talking about that, so another question came in. Does Yutzvat have a universal message for the world? Absolutely. Deir HaShvi, not to be mistaken, that it's only for Chassidim and only for Eden. Deir HaShvim means the entire generation. Now obviously you'll say, one second, are not HaShvim, not HaShvim of the Rebbe, HaShvim of the Altarebbe, seven generations from the Altarebbe. But the purpose of HaShvim, as we discussed, was Yefutza minus Lecha Chutza, and the words of the Rebbe, She'ein Chutza mimeno. That means out, well, outskirts, and nothing further outward. That means it covers everything. In case, if you said Chutza, you could say Chutza, that Tzamech says Chutza, means Midas laga biseichu. You could say, Malchus, L'gabamides. compared to Tazilus, as we discussed before from the Maimah. But who says, Chutzah means all the way into paray? Says the maimet Perikid Gimel, what do you mean? en lamata L'mata, en ain L'mata, tachlis Mata, Mata, the lowest. Like he said, Darges, Achi, Achrenes, and Achitachtenes. The last and the lowest of levels. The language from Perikut Gimel, chapter 13. And there, there's the en so there's no question that the, that the has a theme is the entire world. And the message of the world, the message is that it's our job to awaken everybody. The world is ready, in the Rebbe's words. The entire world. To, for what? The Rambam's words. That the bu- business of the world will be nothing but to know God. Or in the words of Yeshayah, the Rambam concludes, Sefer Mishnah Tereh, a world that will be filled with divine knowledge as the waters cover the sea a world that will be filled now it's our job and mission everyone who's aware of this message in Yut Shfat, to bring this to the world 8 billion people should know in that we're at the threshold and let's do it that's the, this, the bottom line message can we pull it off that's up to you and I So, someone asked me in following that, should we encourage non-Jews to follow their religion? Hi, hello, Rabbi Jacobson. First, I would like to say thank you for your ongoing podcast. I've been listening to your podcast every Sunday for over five years. Many times, world events happen. I impatiently wait for your response to see how the Rebbe would look at it. I'm a mashgiach living in a small town with regards to Jewish infrastructure in Canada. From my work, shliches, I get to meet many different people from many different backgrounds. Most factories that I go to, the, the, the QA, kosher contact, are not born in Canada and were raised religious. Like Sikh, Sikh, Sikh I think Sikh, Hindu, Muslim and Christian. Sometimes they're second generation with parents who are religious but they are secular. Many of them tell me that they are strong in their religion before they came to Canada, they were strong in the religion before they came to Canada. For example, one Muslim from Bangladesh told me that when he is in Bangladesh, he keeps Ramadan. But since coming to Canada, he does not. Another woman who was originally from Serbia asked me over COVID if she could rejoin the church because she, she would be closer to God. A few Shabbosim ago, I met my neighbor in the park down the street. He told me that after watching my family keep Sabbath, he and his wife have started keeping Sabbath on Sunday. Since he's a religious Christian, as a chassid of the Rebbe, how should I respond to these things? Does the Rebbe want non-Jews to be closer to their religion? The Rebbe pushed for a moment of silence in public schools. The Rebbe said that the answer for a school shooting was God and people's life. I, life. I know that one of the reasons why we want, why why we went to Golos is to be a light unto the nations. I remember the story with David Chase that the Rebbe repeated that a Fabrin saying, through him putting on film others. When, went to their places of worship. Should we be encouraging others to reconnect to their religion? Do we, view the, do we view that we want more churches and mosques? Or is it a good thing that in the Western world many churches are closing? What about other religions that are very desired? How should we respond to them? Many thanks for answering my question. So, indeed, when the Rebbe spoke about Shavuot Mitzvah and at length, especially in the Mems, the 80s, and earlier, he addressed this a number of times. The Rambam says that it's a mitzvah, the end of chapter 8 in Hilchas Malachim, it's a mitzvah to inspire, a lokuf to inspire, and um, non Jews to keep their seven Noahide laws, the universal Noahide laws. And everyone should understand these are not just some dismissive seven laws. If every Jew kept the seven that's the we'd have Mashiach here. It's basically that Aserus Adibris without Kibudav and Shabbos. And it breaks down into further the Ramad, brings it down into 30, into 90 mitzvahs. I mean, it's a fundamental code of law of how to live your life from beginning 10, from A to Z. But The Rambam adds, and to teach them that this was given at Sinai, these mitzvahs, not just that doing it apidas. Well, the different is there But it shouldn't be just like irrational, but it was given from Sinai. Even though they're also rational mitzvahs. So, obviously, Avedizad is one of the prohibitions in the Sheva Mitzvahs, to believe in one God. Is it our job to go ahead and tell people what to believe and not to believe? Our job is to inspire them with God. The God as we know it, the God that is taught in the Torah, Hashem Echad. And in many ways, we do that through a moment of silence. When the Rebbe was asked, "Isn't there a concern that in the public schools people will use it to think about Christian, Christ, their Christian views, which is shittuf, and our for eid is mamish like And the Rebbe answered, "So first of all, shittuf. Not everyone agrees that for a non-Jew it's uh, prohibited, and even those that do today, there are more ready passers. Myself is same be a dayum. That's more a cultural thing than a religious thing." That's why you could be a partner with someone who sells Christmas gifts. In addition, the Rebbe's point was that bring the moment of silence, talk about God. You don't always control how others are going to deal with it. And basically, also brings the story of the Baal Shemta, that he preferred a Christian over an atheist. Even though his beliefs may not be exactly aligned or worse than that. Because there's something about belief that brings ethics to the world. Even the Rambam, when he brings and he speaks about why we rejected Christianity, he still says that in the the mysterious God's ways, Christianity and Islam both came, the Yashos HaDerech, to pave the way to Mashiach. They brought the principles of Mashiach, which of course includes also about God to the world. So the point being is, our job is to teach, educate everybody about God and what God wants of us. If that inspires somebody to go to their religious environment to learn more first of all you don't have control over that second of all that's not what you're encouraging you're encouraging them to connect to god whatever way possible now you're not going to open up an alternative necessarily so in many cases they will go to their places of worship but again it's not our job to do that our job is to bring them to god and to what god wants of us and you could teach them teach them this. Teach them the principles, so many fundamental principles. I mean, I know even non-Jews will listen to this program. Definitely to other programs that I do. Today, it's a big world out there. You put something up on YouTube or anywhere else, everybody can access it. And they do. The goal is to bring them to God. My book, Toward a Meaningful Life, we don't know exactly the amount, but maybe 30% of its readers are not Jewish and brought them closer to God. The goal, of course, is not convert. We don't convert anybody. Everybody can serve God in their way. And hopefully, people will come to the Emes. That's ultimately <inaudible> that all the nations will come to understand the fill, the tefillah, amen. That this, the bes will be the house of prayer for all the nations. So teaching them with integrity what God is about, where the way the Torah explains it, is the key thing. And it's case by case. Every individual, that's what I would do. And if they indeed go to their sources, so firstly, many of them are not necessarily Vedasara. And even though that may have some elements of that, that at the end of the day, that's not our mission and job. If you have a good conversation, you could talk about these things, what it means, what God means, and so on. So it's much more of an educational effort than anything else. And that is indeed part of the Yud Shvat mandate. Everyone has to know what their shlichus is in this regard. Everyone has their own different roles. But those that have access and those that do have relationships with people that are of all different faiths or no faiths, the mission is, Vasli to bring God into your life, wherever you may be, whether it's a pare or it's a similar, even that level, and definitely everyone else, especially in this world, that we can bring the Sheva Mitzvahs of as the Rebbe clearly told us, is our job to do. Since we're talking about so asked ask the question, I Rabbi H. I listened to your recent video, a Rabbi Speaks to Christian Evangelicals, Chabad's Message to the World. There's a video of me speaking to a group. Why didn't you explain to them the Sheva Mitzvahs? Is it because the Sheva Mitzvahs are synonymous with Christianity? Thanks. I didn't use the word Sheva Mitzvahs, but I spoke about... The, the, the spirit of those mitzvahs, which includes virtue and sanctity in personal life, in, uh, in, in our relationships, and how we treat each other. Um, I don't remember if I had a specific reason not to use those words, but it was not deliberate because the whole purpose of my message to them was to share with them the, the, the role that they play among all the people in the world, especially as leaders, to bring the message of God to people. And what is the message of God? The message of the Sheva Mitzvah includes God, includes protecting life, protecting property, protecting sexuality, the sanctity of it all, property, creating laws, protecting even the ever the Menachai. So that's the central theme of it. That's, uh, I don't think it was more than that, if I recall correctly. Okay. Since we're speaking about the Rabeim, so a few questions came in about naming children um, after the rabbeim, so let me just do a few of those that seem to be somewhat connected here we are. Okay. What are different customs regarding naming children after the rabbim? Is it appropriate to mix names of two rabbim? So here's the detailed question, it goes like this. I know that the Rebbe was against mixing names of the Rabbim with family names, meaning people who are not Rebbe. How about mixing between the Rebbeim? For example, Schneir David Ber, or Shmuel Yesef. So let's begin with the first thing. In Igris Kedish of the Rebbe, uh, volume 12, page 215, and also Igris Kedesh of the Fridic Rebbe, volume 9, page 214, speaks about not mixing a name, let's say a name like Schneir, with, uh, with Shneer Moshe or something a name of a family member, a grandfather. He says that because a Rebbe shouldn't be mixed with a, a commoner, so to speak. Uh, but here the question is, what about mixing Rebbeim? I never heard a hero about that. Um, generally speaking, when you're naming after a Rebbe, you would like to keep intact that Rebbe's name and not mix it with another Rebbe. So you have to have a very strong reason. Why are you? You know, God will bless you with another child, another son, and you'll have, uh, give him that, that another name. That's my instinct. I've never seen it explicitly, but that would make sense to me. Why would you want to mix Schneider Deber or Shmuel Yasef? What, what would be the reason for that? When you can give the name. Now I understand, if a person wants the name, let's say after the Friedrich Rebbe, Yisuf Yitzchak, but his father's name is Yitzchak, so you can only give Yasef. but then just keep Yisuf. That would be, as I said, my, uh, my rationale, the, my logical explanation for it. So that would be the answer to that. Another question regarding that is, it seems like the Rabbim use shorter names or only part of their name. But someone told me that it's for the benefits of the Neshama to use all names at all times. Is that true? I'm not sure what you mean by shorter names. I mean, we say, some people say the Hayats or the uh, Rebbe Rashab. That's more of an acronym. It's not shorter. When you write it out, for sure you write out the full name. How they called each other, we know that family members called sometimes by one name. They weren't necessarily called by the full name. But that's more an expression, in writing for sure their full name. Um, when you name someone after a Rebbe, it should be again the full name, both names, in the case with their two names, because that's what you're doing, except if there are circumstances where that, that may be a, a difficulty. Do I need to call my children with all the names I gave them, or can I use shorter versions? Well, many Yisrael, you see, people call a person, they don't always call them by all their names. Sometimes yes, sometimes not. I've never seen that. The Rebbe himself, we know he was called by the Friede Rebbe and by the Rebbe, by one name. Not necessarily both names. So in, in speaking, and sometimes as a nickname, if you wish, or an affectionate name. I mean, their name's how they call the Alter Rebbe, in writing, as I said, you write the full name. In any official capacity, an aliyah or a or a for sure, the full name. But in speaking, I don't see any issue with using a shorter version, as long as it's respectful. Is it preferable to name a child after the Rebbe's father or the Fridic Rebbe being that both have the name Yitzchak? And you can't give both names. This, I think, is Tali Behergish, like the Rebbe says, This is dependent on your feeling. And on, on the feeling, you don't ask a question. I, this is, comes down to what you prefer. You know, some people inside the want to give a name after the Rebbe's father, Levi Yitzchok. Some inside the to the Fridic Rebbe's name. I've seen both. And it's true, once you give one name, you can't give another child the, the name because Yitzchok is in both of them. So I, I, uh, I don't really have an answer. I ask your mashpia or maybe mashpia. remember when it comes to names that Abayim always insisted they didn't give advice because there's a mini ruach hakeidosh that enters parents they should know what's right. So I would say I would trust the parents whatever you feel is right that's what you do. I don't know if it's a right and wrong type of question. Okay. So this the next question is a little sensitive one which was like this. Do we have an explanation for the Rebbe and Rebbe not having children? These are God's mysteries and I don't have any explanation or answer for that question. We all say always that though they do not have biological children, but all the children are theirs. Remember, HaMalamet Ben HaVere, Tera, someone that teaches a child, a person, Tera, is, my love, Akas of the Tera, considers it Ki'ili Yaldeh. That's why it says, Tell this, Meshav Arun, Allah's of summer, because Meshav taught them, even though they were the biological children of Aden. So that's how we understand it. As far as the, the, the personal matters, we don't know. We don't know. And I don't know if it's something that we have to parkezichin, meaning it's our business to go figure it out. Sohn writes I lately saw an interview, a chassid who runs a respectful Abavitch organization, talk about the Rebbe. And he went into the subject of the Rebbe not having children. Brought some stories in Enderov that the Chassidim have to feel bad for the Rebbe, talking about how hard it was for the Rebbe to have people ask him for brachas for children. The interviewer responds that he's sad, he's sad and that he feels bad. Wondering if this is the right look at the Rebbe. True that we have to feel for the Rebbe, but is this the outlook of a Chassid? Did the Rebbe ever talk like this about the Friediker Rebbe? Thanks for all you do. Love listening to your classes, especially the new ones you post daily on the other channel. No, I, uh, I agree with your feeling. I don't think it's our business in this regard. If you feel bad for the Rebbe, you know what you should do. Bring more children to the Rebbe. Teach more children, your own children, other people's children about Chassidus, about the Rebbe. And just to say to feel bad and feel sad, is not something the Rebbe, I think, would appreciate. And it's in general not our approach. Not because we don't have empathy, not because we're not human and we just dismiss it. There's no question, I mean, but is it our job to figure out how the Rebbe stands? The answer is God's mysterious ways, and we have to do whatever we can to bring every child on earth, and affect every child. I think there's a story even with Ebotson where she referred to the children, our children. That's the response. Now, I wouldn't sit and talk about feeling bad. That's not the, the way we were educated, okay. Let's talk about Bishalach. Since it's also Pasha Bishalach, let me just conclude. We'll talk a little about Bishalach. What lessons do we learn from this chapter? And what is the connection to Yujfat? So let's start. What lesson do we learn from this Pasha? So, Bishalach, of course, the first complete Pasha that I not have left Mitzrayim, B'Shalach Pari Saham, he chased them away, but then. He has regrets. And the Idin are marching. They're coming to the Red Sea. And suddenly the Egyptians, they see pursuing them. So the first lesson we learn is about this story that Ebbet makes a big thing about based on the Yerushalmi, that the Jews broke into four camps. One was, let's resign, surrender, go back to Mitzrayim. Look. The other was, let's go to war. The third was let's jump in, let's dive in to Hashem, and the fourth was nipple beyond. Let's jump into the sea. They turn to Moshe. Moshe turns to Hashem. You know, it seems like what other options? They have exhausted all the options, and God says one word: so, move forward. What are you questioning me? <inaudible> Took you out of Egypt, marched toward Har Sinai, then marched toward the Promised Land. Well, what's wrong with their four approaches? Well, the pr- approach of surrender is obviously you're surrendering. God's taking you out of Mitzrayim. But what's wrong with davening? What's wrong with going to war? So the Rebbe explains, and the big picture is that whenever we're faced with confrontation, all of us, between a rock and a hard place, there are four different approaches. One is people give up. You can't fight the battle. Let me surrender. Better to be a slave in Egypt than to deal with this challenge. The second is to go to war. People just become warriors, and you spend your whole life fighting. The third is escaping into faith, into religion, to daveni. But what about doing something about it, not just daveni? And the fourth is another form of escapism, which is committing suicide, literally, figuratively speaking. Throwing yourself into the sea. All are unacceptable, because they don't deal with the real purpose of life to move forward and fill your mission in life. Each one has a certain merit. Davening is good, but don't just daven. Fighting war at times, but it's not your whole life is consumed with fighting wars. And the other two, obviously, they can have also, you can find something, sometimes you have to compromise something, but not in halacha, obviously. Sometimes you have to go to the yam, yam of Torah. But, but the real, by your soul. And the message to Yudshvat, what's the connection? What's the significance connection to Yudshvat? That was what the Rebbe said: Tavshin Yud and Yud Aleph. When people said, "What will be now?" We were given a mission: Derashvi, march forward. We don't understand the reason the Rebbe said it wasn't with our choice, it wasn't with our void, it wasn't necessarily what we wanted, but that's what has happened. Now with the Derashvi, HaShvi, you saw, we have to march forward. That's the central message of Bishalach. There are more messages there, many different themes in Beshalach. just focusing on one, soul. That's an unbelievable concept when you think about it because as I said, we're all going to be at times feel stuck. And the key is move forward. Even if you're not in the mood, even if you're not interested, do something, do an act. Because the last thing you want is paralysis because you end up having four philosophies and just arguing it till this day and not knowing which one is right. Vayaso is movement. That's the key. Movement. And movement is always better than any type of paralysis. Even if it's coming from a very intelligent place. Because movement shakes things up. It changes things. And That's exactly what he did. He went forward. Vayusoh. He walked into the water. And what happened? The water parted. Things happen. Action breeds action. Inaction breeds Inaction. It's a central theme. Chlal, in general, in Yiddish especially the Deir HaShvira, the Rebbe's approach, how he took life, he took the situation, the challenges, and taught us, move forward. Do something. Do something different. Do something new. Something innovative. You know, Ad Mose, after all these years, time has come. Tav pe Pei Gimel, who would believe? 73 years. Almost 30 years from Gimel Tammuz. The time has come to do a very so that will ultimately break open and cross the threshold of the Gula amitis vashlema. And with that, we shall conclude this special episode, Yud Shabbat episode. My Life Chassidus Applied. Go to chassidusapplied.com where you can submit any question anonymously, as well as see the archives and the essays and the submissions of previous years, plus many other resources, including... Special Yudshvat section, chidusapplied slash yudshvat, which has four of so f- of five classes this week. I'll give one more on the chapter thirteen of Busselagani in more detail. while we should use Yudshvat to the fullest, and maybe be the day with the Rebbe as he concludes in the Maimir. that Niske zenzich bin We should merit see the Rebbe Lamatama Masorat down here below Everyone have a very good week and use this day well. May it be only with Simcha and Baruches, Begolim, Mamish. I want to say one more thing. Since the tragedy that happened to Shabbos, Yerushalayim, we should only hear good news that the families there should be consoled. May this be the last negative thing. And we should march to Golamitiz Rashleim in Yerushalayim, to the base of Midrash of Mamish, Mamish. This program is brought to you by My Life, Hasidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at hasidusapplied.com donate.